All right, our scripture this morning is from the book of Ephesians. We're continuing on in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. You know who I'm especially grateful for on Sundays like today are our, uh, Trailer team and operations. So can we give them a hand? Thank you guys for waking up extra early. Everybody's serving today. What a, what a gift to the church. I love how Cindy said that. Congratulations, you made it. Uh, it's an exciting day to be in God's Word together, uh, gathering as a, as a church. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, God reconciling us in Christ. And I think it's important because we live in a very divided world. I mean, if you just take politics for, as an example... Uh, going back all the way to my poli-sci days in Berkeley, I have tried my best to read just multiple uh, media outlets and just different newspapers and perspectives just from across the political spectrum. Just like, that's just like something I'm always constantly trying to do. And it just seems very clear to me what I imagine everybody of us sees or uh, observes ourselves is that we are increasingly not only just going after the others, we're also just doing it talking past the others. I mean, it's just, and, I, and I feel like that that's kind of like uh, reflective of the division that's out there in so many other parts of our lives. I know for many of you, you know, there's, there's division in your, in your families. Uh, there's division in uh, the workplace. Uh, there, there's all this sorts of division. And, and what we see here in this text, uh, one that's not often very uh, often preached unless you're actually going through a book like we are today, uh, is that God has a mission for reconciliation. As Cindy mentioned earlier, uh, we began Ephesians chapter 2 last week. We looked at the first half of Ephesians 2, and we saw there essentially that uh, a a depiction of human beings uh, alienated from God, hostile towards God, and yet God reconciling them to himself, reconciling uh, us to himself. Well, today in the second half of Ephesians 2, we see human beings being depicted as in in, in hostility towards one another, alienated from one another, and God reconciling them to each other. 
okay? So we're going to see today how important it is to God, this mission of reconciliation, and our part to join him in that work. So let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll look at the text more closely. Father, what, what an important text. I mean, I imagine even as I just kind of raise the topic, as we just kind of start to think, you know, here in, in the beginning about alienation in the world, about hostility in the world, our minds just can think of any number of examples uh, globally, but also personally. And so, Father, would you help us uh, understand what it is you want us to learn today? And as your people and as your church, uh, join with you in leading out for this vital work of reconciliation that the world so desperately needs. We confess here at the top that we don't do a great job at it. In fact, the church is often known for not doing a great job of that. So, Father, we know that it's near and dear and central to your heart. And so, Father, would you help us today consider these things at the personal level, at the church level, as we think about it in, in, in greater arenas as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the context for our text today is a bit of a case study, if you will, of, of, of division. Okay, we have, we have an example of division. We see here in the first few verses that there is division between what Paul describes as the circumcised and the uncircumcised. That's to say between Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews. He says it this way. There's a dividing wall of hostility. That's verse 14. That word hostility could also be translated more simply to the word of, of hate. There's like there's hatred going on there. And what was causing this hate between Jew and Gentile in that day with, with Paul? But God's law and regulations. How's that for irony? He says here in verse 15, it's the law of God with its commands and regulations that was creating the hostility. Uh, that's to say the Mosaic law, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, that was the, the cause of this. In other words, the Jews were taking what was meant to be a gift, wonderful, wonderful gift, and yet seeing it as an occasion to have a hostility and despise these others. This gift that was supposed to lead them to live holy lives. This gift that was supposed to help them be a nation to bless all nations with what it means to follow God and what it could look like to do so. Uh, that was the basis for the hostility. And so if you look again at verses 11 and 12, you see even by the language that Paul is using, they're just, they just despise each other. Uh, the, the, the Jewish Christians were calling the Gentiles the uncircumcised and kind of like, you know, rubbing their noses at them with, with that thought. And, you know, the classic thing was the Gentile Christians were in turn despising those who were despising them, which is how it works, right? And so as a result, this good gift was actually leading to hostility. Now, this is a case study, right? This is an example of hostility in the world. If we start to pull the lens back and consider how this looks like out in the world, we go, oh my goodness, this is how the world works today. Uh, when God gives good gifts, talent, strengths, there's just something about the human heart that will take those things and then elevate them to an absolute level and look down on others who do not have or don't have as much. And then we say something like, oh, we're not like them. And now this can happen at the individual level, this alienation, this hostility. And of course, it can happen at the group level. Uh, often happening in, in, based on culture, race, class, uh, politics, and the rest of it. Uh, the way we get an identity, okay, and this is, of course, the, the title of our series, the way we get our self-worth and what, is it, what we see as true about ourselves is we take something that's really good, a strength or something like that, a distinctive factor about us, 
But then we can easily then elevate it to the point where we're looking down on others, even to the point of excluding them. And that's what Paul is speaking into here. Jesus talked about this. Jesus talked about this when he gave one of his famous parables, where he talked about how there was this Pharisee, this religious leader who went to the temple to pray, and he lifted up his eyes to pray. And how did he pray? He said, oh God, thank you for making me not like those other people. And Jesus was telling that parable, not just to be like, and aren't you glad you're not them? Which would be kind of against his point. But to say that that's how our human hearts work. I was uh, in, a, in a group of, I was, I was in a seminar with this guy who's kind of uh, uh, really wise and just a thought, a thought leader. And he was talking about how it's so easy for us to do this in all just different areas of life. He said, talk about the professional world. He said, lawyers do this. And he used to study to be a lawyer. He said, accountants do this. School, local school boards do this. They just go on and on. He said, what happens is, over time, people who get into those professions or whatever it might be, uh, they developed expertise. And there was some sort of test to get you in there. Maybe it was an interview. Maybe it was an actual exam. Whatever it was, there was that to get in there. And over time, what happens is those tests, the people who are in there, who are established, make, are made harder and harder. Now, some of that makes sense because with population growth, you kind of have to figure out, okay, you have limited spots. You get, he said, but you know what? Beyond all that, what really is happening is those people who are in there are looking back on those tests and saying, we've got to make it harder so that we can feel better about our position. And we've got to let the people who only come in and start to represent us be further along. He said, the problem with that, though, is these people who are established in doing that are forgetting the fact that they were not where they're expecting others to be. He's like, it's just how the world world works. We just easily, without understanding, just, just fall into this. Um, and remember, uh, Christian friends, uh, Paul's not just writing to people in general here, right? I mean, we, we can pull the lens back as we just did and talk about how this is how the, the world often works, but let, let us not forget that, Christian, that, that Paul was writing to a Christian church. He was writing to Christians I've heard a story that once there was a man who was shipwrecked and marooned on, on an island. And uh, years later, he was rescued. And his rescuers uh, noticed that on this island, he had erected two churches, two church buildings. Okay? And they were like, what's the deal with that? Why, why'd, you, why'd, you do, why'd you make two churches? He said, oh, that's because I needed one church to go to and another church to stay away from. Churches are known for, the very, for, for not doing the very thing that we're talking about today is very much on God's heart. We need to lead out, we need to look to sacrifice and work towards reconciliation. It starts here, but it starts with us out into the world because that's what God calls us to. We need to think about this, be real smart about this, understand it, and join him in this work. Well, How? Okay, so we want to look at three things from this text. It seems to me that Paul's showing us how we join God in this work of reconciliation. Number one, we need to remember that we were outsiders. You need to remember that you were an outsider. Verse 11, he says, remember that. Two times in this little text, he says, remember that. Remember that you, were, uh, you who were uh, Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God. Remember, Paul is saying, that you were outsiders. Uh, and that's absolutely true. If we remember what we talked about last week, if you were here and actually we just sang about it, I loved it, how God reconciled us to himself. Some of the language there in Ephesians 2, by the way, did anybody memorize it? 
1, 1 through 10. That's a, that's a wonderful little section there, just jam-packed about the gospel. But it talks about things like how we were deserving of wrath, separate from God, and how God, in his great grace, made a way for us to be back, made, uh, back into relationship with him. He reconciled us to himself. But what Paul is saying here to Gentile Christians, which, by the way, if we were to take a poll, I imagine that would be a lot of hands going up, non-Jewish Christians, he's saying, you were doubly alienated. You were alienated from God, and you were alienated from God's people. I mean, it's a double alienation. Verse 13, of course, goes on to say, but now you've been, those who are uh, far away have been brought near. But he starts by saying, remember that. Remember that you're an outsider. Have you ever been an outsider in a certain setting and it just like taught you things about life? Uh, when I was a little guy, 11 years old, I, uh, my parents made, a made the decision to move from San Diego, which is where I was born, to move to Berkeley to start a church. And, you know, that was a big deal for my 11-year-old self. Uh, on a number of fronts, and many of which are, are obvious, one that was actually probably the hardest about that move was the fact that, that Southern California and Northern California school systems are slightly different. So I was 11 years old, I was a young sixth grader at the time. In Southern California, that meant I was in elementary school, K through six, then you have junior high, seven through eight or nine, depending on what you choose to do. So I was, I was in elementary school in Southern California, but when I moved up here to Northern California, where it's elementary is K through five, and then middle school, six through eight, I went from being sixth grader, king of the school, whatever, you know, like on top of the world, to bottom rung, survival of the fittest, middle school, inner, you know, inner East Bay. And I was just like, oh man, it was rough. It was brutal. I'm glad we're laughing. I'm laughing too, but I'm also kind of, my inner child's crying. It was, it was hard. I, I don't know about you, about your middle school experiences. The way my middle school worked is the, the most of the boys during recess and lunch wouldn't go out and play sports. They would get in circles and make fun of each other. And so as a new student, I was like red meat in the water. I still to this day have friends, friends from, from that time who will remind me of the things that they made fun of me for. Right, this isn't my notes, but I'm just going here. I, was like, I, I, got a, I got a bug bite that first week that was like the size of like my cheek. It was like some weird spider. We were moving in boxes. So I got bit by, I still have friends come up and they'll just like, they don't say anything. I was like, dude, that was like the that was years ago, first week. So I'm navigating all that. It's so hard. Oh, my goodness. Lots of tears. Lots of like, man, here's another funny one. I, like, I had to learn what to wear because in San Diego, in elementary school, people didn't really care about what, what you wore. I showed up with shorts. I never wore jeans, but everybody's wearing jeans in, in middle school, and, and everybody's wearing baggy jeans. I don't know if any, no one does that anymore, but it's like baggy jeans. You're supposed to sag and all that sort of stuff. I wore jeans because I was like, oh, I got to do that. So I wore jeans. They're like, those are too skinny. It's like, I was just ahead of my time. <laughs> that, that occurred to me this week. I was like, oh. But anyways, it was so hard. Was so, I'm having fun with it, but it was, it was really hard. And I would not wish that upon my past self again. I would not choose that willingly for my kids. But it was so good for me. It was so good for me. Because it helped me see just a little bit more what it likes to be, to be an outsider. Some of you here today, like, okay, I've had a, a, a number of occasions in my life where I was the outsider. And, and not just the outsider, but very much treated as such, okay? A number. Some of you, that's not just been an occasional thing for you in your life. That's been a lifelong experience. And for those of you that that's true, and you've been molded for the good out of that, which that would be a gift, 
For those of you that have been molded out of the good, man, you are some of the people I love being around the most. Because the things that we're talking about today, when we talk about reconciliation and God's heart for it, it's not an academic thing for you. You know it to your bones. And one of the outcomes of that, as you remember or as, or as you know, as you live that, one of the implications is you have an eye for the outsider. You just see them. You have empathy. You have a heart. You, have, you, you, you will close the gap. You have all these sorts of things. And I think that's along the lines of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, remember that you are an outsider. And if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you are an outsider even as God brought you in, which brings us to the second thought, and that is uh, you need to understand that God has brought you in, and not just in a kind of, sort of way, completely. He's brought you completely in. Look again at verse 19. Consequently, you are not, uh, excuse me, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's clear what Paul is saying here. If you go back to verse 13, it kind of summarizes this. You were formerly far away, but now you've been brought near. Not just kind of, sort of, but, but completely, fully, holy. He says you're be, you've been brought back to be fellow citizens members of God's household built into the foundation. You've been made to become part of the holy temple of the Lord, uh, made to become part of, of his dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You've been brought completely in. You've been made an insider. And to the extent you understand that, I believe the implication here is here. Paul is saying you need to live out from that in joining God in his work for reconciliation. Uh, that first week of middle school, uh, one, it, it was very hard, lots of tears, lots of trying to figure out how to like survive and you know, figure out how to, how to live and, and where and what to avoid and who to avoid and all that sort of stuff. There was an, incre there was an incredible bright spot. Uh, my teacher asked the class, uh, hey, does anybody want to show David, our, our new kid, around? Now, I couldn't have sunk deeper into my chair as she asked that question. Just like, oh, no, only one hand went up. I was like, oh, thank you for that hand, whoever raised their hand. It was this gal named Lauren. Uh, she, she's like, I'll do it, teacher. I'll, I'll take it around. Uh, Lauren, African-American gal, biggest smile uh, you, you, could, you could experience. She, just, she said, I'll, I'll David, I'll take you under my wing. Let's go, I'm just going to show you around. And it was amazing. She took me around. She started showing me everything. She started showing me, like, she showed me all the spots and, like, what I need to understand as a student for, like, you know, here's the library, here's, like, where you eat, like, you know, all that sort of stuff. But she also started giving me the, the download on all this stuff. Like, hey, this is, you know, these are the people you probably want to avoid. Not because they're mean, but just you, you don't want to go over, the, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, all that kind of stuff. You might want to change those jeans, get them a little baggier, you know, all that kind of stuff. She's doing all that. And super nice. She was also, she was introducing me to her friends. She was introducing me to people that she hardly knew but figured might be friends to David. I'm serious. At one moment, I, at, one, at one point, I said, I said, Laura, this, is, this has been pretty incredible. It's like, you're just showing me around, showing the new kid. Thank you, thank you so much. She said, David, of course, my pleasure. And besides, I'm Christian. If there's anything I know, it's to love my neighbor. I looked at her like she was an angel. I'm serious. I was like, oh, I was very emotional. I'm even getting emotional remembering that. Dang it. Uh, it was a very emotional time, but she, that's the reason she gave. I'm like, 
She didn't, by the way, at that time know that I was Christian. She didn't know at that time that my parents had moved up there to start a church. She didn't know any of that. She's just like, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. You're an outsider. She didn't say that. <laughs> Thank goodness. She, I could infer from the things she was saying, but she was like, hey, come on in. That's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, be like Lauren on behalf of, of the Lord and, and, and his church. Because you've not just, look, you were formerly away, but you've been brought in with all the, the, the privileges, graces, and blessings that come with that. And if you're a follower of God, that means how can you not just be like with, with the person who may even be an outsider, or maybe not, you don't know, you don't care. It's like, come on in. Bring them in. Now, I, we don't have time to go through all these wonderful promises. Uh, they're not small promises. Paul at one point says, uh, you're now citizens with God's people. I mean, keep in mind, this was written 2,000 years ago, right? Back in Roman times, okay? So back then, being a Roman citizen was a massive deal, okay? I mean, to be an American citizen, and understand this, I'm not trying to like, you know, tout America, whatever. To be an American citizen is an awesome thing that a lot of people want these days. But a lot of Americans don't realize, or we can, we can easily take for granted. Does that make sense? And it's like, so, okay, but think about this. Paul is saying you have been made citizens into God's kingdom, citizens of the, of the great king, with all its privileges and blessings and, and, and gifts. And that is now the truest thing about you when you've put your faith in him, which brings us back to this whole series that we're in, the identity series. God, Paul is saying the greatest identity that you have is that you're in Christ. You're, you've been made a citizen. You've been brought into his dwelling. You've been made members of his household. Which means whatever else is about you, whatever else is true from you, that is, that is truest. So I'm David, husband, father, son, pastor. Things that, you know, make me, me. But I'm first and foremost a follower of Jesus. And that ought to come out as we love and care for our fellow sisters and brothers and, and our neighbors. Uh, one of the coolest experiences I've, I've, I've been able to um, have is to travel different parts of the world and meet different Christian groups uh, from Mexico to Kazakhstan to China to, to England. I've had opportunity to kind of meet people in obviously very different cultures with different, all sorts of lists of, lists of, of differences and different identities that people would kind of pull from and identify with. But what's been incredible is without exception in all those places, I have gotten the privilege of, of, of experiencing God's community of them just loving on me because I'm a brother in Christ. It's incredible. So many differences, including sometimes language. And yet in each of these situations, there's just a love that's just like experience here, 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 that is just far greater than any other loving that you can experience. It's, just, it's incredible. That's, that's those folks living out, hey, this is the first thing that's truest of me. I, I live in this country, we have these political views, we have this sort of, but this is truest. So therefore, brother, come on in, we're, we're going to love you, care for you. May that be true of us as we live out this work and look to be a part of God's work of reconciliation. He says, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's a bond stronger than any other bond. We made brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Christian friends, do you see this? Are, are you living from this? I mean, to use the example of politics again, because I just think that's where we acutely feel this in our culture. Are you living out from this perspective in your political views, in, in terms of your relationships with others? Because it is really easy to look at someone on the other side of the political aisle 
who, by the way, might be your sister or brother in Christ and be like, oh, that idiot. They're the reason why things are jacked up. They're the reason why the world's ruined. Can you do that with your brother or sister in Christ? Can you do that with your neighbor? Remembering that the truest thing about you is that you have been reconciled to God, made reconciled to God, brought into his family, brought in as an, as an insider. Not to be like, oh, look, now I've made it club. No, for the very purpose of saying, no, no, you're welcome too. You can experience God's love through Christ too. That's what we're called to do, what we're called to be about in this mission that God has us in to, to be a part of his work of reconciliation. Uh, there's the first two thoughts. One more. Uh, first two are remember that you are an outsider. Understand that God brought you in. And the third one, this one, this one's important. Because again, we still kind of have to wrestle with this idea that a lot of churches are known for not being this, right? And that stretches back to Paul's times, 2,000 years ago, where the church was just kind of going at each other. Uh, a lot of churches today in America are known for not being churches like the one that Paul's describing. So we've got to wrestle with this third one, especially in my mind, because it's the antidote of antidotes. Number three, we need to look to what Christ has accomplished. This is so important. This is the middle paragraph of our text. Verse 14, for he himself, that is Christ, is our peace. By the way, it's not saying he accomplished our peace, which he did. It's saying he is our peace. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. There's an amazing uh, statement in here that he almost just breezes by. It's, it's so incredible. He says in verse 16 that Christ reconciles both of them, that is Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross by which, quote, he put to death their hostility or hate, as we've talked about, right? It actually says more literally that he slew their, their hostility on the cross. He slew the hatred. Now, what does that mean? Because I thought the only thing that died on the cross was Jesus. Well, there's a place in 2 Corinthians where it says, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? God made him sin. I mean, we know that Christ was not sinful, so God didn't make Jesus sinful. What does it mean? It means that on him, on the cross, he placed the penalty of our sin. It means the hostility that we regularly have towards other people, regularly, each of us, not just over there, those people, each of us, he placed on Jesus on the cross. In other words, when we are hostile with, with God, essentially, but also with one another, God wasn't hostile with us, but he placed that on Jesus. Or think of it this way. This is an incredible thought. On the cross, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we're working together to bring peace, bring us back into reconciliation. We could say, actually, we, we will say, they are superior beings. Father, Spirit, the perfectly holy, without beginning, without perfectly superior in every way, and yet they did not look at us as inferior. In fact, there's places in the scripture, Hebrews 2, where Jesus says he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. 
That's incredible. He had every right, could have looked down on us, and yet what did he do? He didn't see us in inferior. He actually identifies with us now. Chose to identify, let alone lay down his life for us. When the cross comes into the middle of your life, there will be nobody around you that you will be ashamed of either. If we understand what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, there will be nobody we look at and just ah. Whether it's related to their culture, background, color of their skin, political views, rather you look to love them and point them to the love of God in Christ. Uh, current family, may this be true of our church. As, as we think about this. Now, real quick caveat. We're called to be an inclusive church and I'll fi- figure all that out. I mean, there's certain ways where you can't, you can't work around that. For instance, I'm, I'm preaching in English, okay? There's everybody in this area, more or less, more or less, can speak English, but it's not everybody's heart language in this area. So it's like, okay, there's, there's some understandings there. But, this, but the question becomes, are we living remembering that we were outsiders and understanding that we've been brought in and made to bring others in, and even as they might not all receive that, put an arm around, or at least the best we can, love them and care for them. Are we living for that to the extent we can? Are we fighting for that? Are we sacrificing for that? Are we working towards that? Uh, One question I just want to put on uh, your hearts and minds as we wrap up here um, by way of uh, personal application. Is there anybody that perhaps the Holy Spirit is putting on your mind, your heart, as we've been thinking about this, where you could lead out in joining God in his work of reconciliation. Maybe you could take the initiative. Maybe you could send a text. Maybe you could make a phone call. Somebody in your family. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go through all the whole list, but somebody that, that, where you could lead out. Paul's real practical in another place. In Romans 12, he says, uh, as far as, po- as it is possible for you, live at peace with one another. So you, you can't control what the other is going to do or how they're going to respond, but you can control, with God's help, what you can do, what, what I can do. And so is there somebody that you can do, perhaps even this week, in terms of the work of reconciliation and joining God in his, in his work? Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this incredible text. Uh, thank, you for, um, thank you for slaying hatred on the cross, the hatred that's dividing uh, the human race in order to reconcile us to yourself and to uh, to one another. Uh, Lord, would you help us as individuals, families, as a church, uh, show the world that your son died, not, not for, for my race, not for my culture, not for my political camp, but for the human race and to win for himself a people from every tongue, tribe, nation. Help us live this out according to your precious gospel. We thank you for it. It's in your son's name we pray, Jesus.